0: Uh, Well, friends, uh, what motivates us to tell others the good news of Jesus? What motivates us to tell others the good news about Jesus? Uh, I'm guessing that if we asked uh, different people here and uh, we were being honest, uh, we would get a variety of different answers. Uh, Some of us may be motivated by a, a passionate zeal for uh, the gospel, and uh, we just love speaking about Jesus to other people. Uh, others of us may be motivated by guilt. Uh, you know, you hear from the pulpit that telling other people about Jesus is important. Uh, we hear this message uh, week in and week out, and yet there are just too many things in life that require our attention, and so we feel more and more guilty. That we're not doing a good job. Others of us may be motivated by duty. You know, we think that because God has commanded us uh, to go and tell the gospel to others, uh, because he has commanded us to speak the gospel, well, it is our Christian duty. And so we just grit our teeth and we go out and try to do it. But the problem with this is that the Bible itself doesn't seem to give Uh, many commands for Christians to be going out and telling other people the gospel. I mean, can you think of a command in the Bible where uh, God directly commands individual Christians to go and tell people the gospel? Uh, Some of you might say, well, you have the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But you can argue that even the Great Commission isn't a direct command for all individual Christians everywhere to be speaking about Jesus. You also have passages like 1 Peter 3, where Peter tells us to always be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. But even there, It seems like telling people about Jesus is is a passive thing where you just wait for somebody to ask you about Christ before you open your mouth and and tell others. But why are we seeking commands in the Bible anyway? Uh, You know, I think people tend to seek commands and laws when they don't really want to do something. Is that right? Um... It's a bit like children when they're told to eat their vegetables. I don't know whether you have young children and you tell them to eat the vegetables. Uh, What what do they do? Well, they immediately look for the precise command that uh, you're issuing. Uh, Do you mean all the vegetables or just the peas? Are tomatoes vegetables? Is it okay if I eat the potatoes, but I don't eat the Brussels sprouts? Uh, You see, we look for precise commandments when we don't really want to do something. Is that right? And so what should motivate Christians to evangelize or speak the gospel to others? Should evangelism be a priority anyway, given the lack of direct commands in the Bible? Uh, they're some of the questions I want us to consider together this morning. Uh, well, friends, uh, we've been looking at 2 Corinthians for a while now. Uh, we're coming towards uh, the end of a long section that began in chapter 1, verse 12, uh, and ends in chap- chapter 7, verse 5, where the Apostle Paul defends his ministry. Uh, he defends his ministry because of false teachers or super-apostles, as Paul later derogatively calls them. And uh, these super apostles have been calling Paul's ministry into question. You know, Paul is full of suffering. He looks weak. He looks outwardly unimpressive. Surely the things that such a man teaches about God can't actually be from God. The super apostles, on the other hand, had come to Corinth flaunting their ability to enter into extraordinary religious experiences. It may have been that they had the ability to to speak in tongues or a a, a heavenly kind of language. Uh, Whatever it was, it was an outwardly impressive show of religion. And so that's why, uh, if you have a look in your Bibles at chapter 5, verse 13, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, uh, Paul says there... uh, Verse 13, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Uh, in other words, Paul is saying here that he himself speaks in tongues, which transcends the mind. It's as though he's out of his mind when he's speaking in tongues, but he only speaks in tongues privately when he's with God. However, when he's with the Corinthians... He would rather be self-controlled and in his right mind so that he can instruct them with words that make sense. But for Paul, the issue in Corinth is not just one of ministry style. It's not you know, the, the flashy super-apostles and uh, their style of ministry versus the boring old Paul who's uh, you know, weak and unimpressive. No, it has to do with the salvation of the Corinthians themselves. You see, Paul knows that if the Corinthians reject him and his message, and rather they receive the super apostles and the version of Jesus that they are preaching, well, they will be in danger of losing their salvation. That's why in, uh, in verse 20, if you have a look there, uh, Paul says, We implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Or if you have a look at uh, chapter six, verse one, chapter six, verse one, you'll see that, that Paul warns the Corinthians not to receive the grace of God in vain. And uh, if you come right uh, to the end of our, of our passage this morning, uh, chapter six, verse 11, chapter six verse 11, Paul passionately appeals to the Corinthians to receive his ministry over the super apostles. He says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. You are are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. You see, Paul is so passionate because he knows that the salvation of the Corinthians is at stake, and he wants the Corinthians to return to him. However, in this passage, one of the marks of Paul's genuine Christian ministry is his desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Uh, You see, the super-apostles were concerned about their outward appearance, but Paul was concerned for the salvation of others. What motivates Paul to tell others the gospel? Uh, Well, in the first few verses of our passage this morning, uh, we can see two motivations. Firstly, notice that Paul is motivated by fear. Paul is motivated by fear. You can see it there in uh, chapter 5, verse 11. Verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. However, the strange thing, is that if you glance down at verse 14, you'll see there that Paul is also motivated by Christ's love for him. I love this verse. It's one of the great memory verses of the Bible. Uh, You can see it there in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, does that sound a bit strange to you? Uh, At first glance, uh, it sounded very strange to me. Uh, I mean, how can we be motivated by fear on the one hand and motivated by love on the other? Uh, it seems like the two are very contradictory motivations. But friends, uh, I want to suggest to you this morning that that's because we often misunderstand what the Bible teaches us about proper fear and love. Uh, I think it's fair to say that most people these days think that fear is, a, is always a negative thing. Is that Right? Fear is always a negative thing. Uh, We're told over and over again by the world, for example, that fear stops us from pursuing our dreams. Uh, We might even think of evil dictators like Hitler and Stalin who used fear to coerce and manipulate and control people. Uh, We experience irrational fears, such as the fear of flying. Who has a fear of flying here? few people. Um, Irrational fears that sap our energy and uh, we end up worrying about these things. And so fear is something that robs us of our freedom and robs us of life. But friends, uh, I want to suggest that fear can actually be a good thing. Uh, I'm not sure whether you've heard of the Darwin Awards before. Has anyone heard of the Darwin Awards before? Uh, A few of us have have probably been to the website, but uh, the Darwin Awards are awarded each year to people who have lost their lives due to their incredible stupidity and often because of their lack of fear. Uh, The latest Darwin Award went to two men in the Netherlands who uh, both lay down on the train track and dared each other. Uh, about how long they could wait until a train reached them. Uh, They both waited too long. Uh, You see, having a respectable fear of trains would have been a good thing because rather than robbing them of life, it would have actually preserved their life. You see, friends, fear is not the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. And love is not the opposite of fear. Fearlessness is the opposite of fear. And fearlessness can sometimes be stupidity because there are some things in this life that are fearful. And so here, Paul fears the Lord Jesus Christ because he knows that on the last day, Jesus will evaluate his life. Paul says in uh, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10, That we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Uh, Now, Luke uh, helpfully explained last week that this doesn't mean uh, Christians will be saved based on our works or things like that, but our lives will nevertheless be evaluated. Friends, how do you think you will feel on the last day? When the risen Lord Jesus Christ, in all his glory and holiness and majesty and splendor, is before you, and he asks you, and he asks me, how have you used this life? What will you say to him? I'd imagine that it will be a terrifying day. Will you and I have to say to him that we have wasted this life? on trivial things that didn't matter? Or will you and I hear the wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant? But even more than that, Paul knows the frightening reality of what will happen when people meet the Lord Jesus Christ on the last day without being reconciled to God. If we believe what is frequently on the lips of Jesus himself, about eternal hell and judgment, then that day will truly be a terrifying day for many. And so Paul's life is about lovingly warning others of that coming day and persuading people to be reconciled to God before that day comes. But it's not just fear, is it? Uh, Notice here that it is actually the love of Christ that has gripped Paul's heart. Uh, When Paul says that the love of Christ controls us, in verse 14, uh, the word control there uh, that is used is the same word that is used to describe the crowds pressing in on Jesus in Luke chapter 8. Uh, You know, that's where the the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years... uh, works her way through the crowd and touches uh, Jesus' cloak to be miraculously healed. Uh, It's the idea that there is actually no room to move because the crowds are pressing in on you. The love of Jesus is so powerful that it leaves us with very little room to move but to tell other people the good news as well. And you can see the love of Christ in the small word, for, in verse 14, when Paul says, one has died for all. Christ died for the benefit of all. He died for me. He died for you. He died for your family member, your colleague, your neighbor. He died for those in Enfield and Strathfield. He died for the world. Uh, friends, what are the things that you are gripped by? So much that it actually controls you. I think when we become gripped by things, uh, we naturally want others to know about it, don't you think? Uh, I remember uh, giving a sermon uh, not too long ago where um, uh, I spoke about my Fitbit And uh, how wonderful it was. Uh, I don't even remember the context of the sermon but I noticed that in the weeks after the sermon people started to come to me and uh, show me their Fitbits that they had bought after that sermon. Uh, I mean I didn't intend to be a Fitbit salesman. Uh, I'm, I'm not getting any commission from Fitbit but you see When you are gripped by something, you naturally want other people to know about it, don't you think? Now, I'm not sure... I'm sure that there are things that we are all gripped by. But what God is asking this morning is, are you and I gripped by the love of Christ? Does this leave you with no room to move but to tell other people about this wonderful news and are you fearful of what it will mean for those who uh, that we know who may meet christ on the last day without being reconciled to god will you simply let people go to hell without warning them well friends uh, we're looking at the question of motivation Uh, What motivates us to speak about Jesus? Uh, Well, the next thing that motivates the Apostle Paul, at least, uh, is his new life in Christ. Uh, Paul mentions uh, three things about this new life. Uh, Jesus has made him a new person with a new job and a new message. A new person with a new job and a new message. Uh, Firstly, notice that Christ has made Paul a new person. Uh, Most of you will know that before his conversion, Paul, uh, or Saul as he was then known, thought that Jesus was a blasphemer who told lies about God. And so he spent his life hating Jesus. He spent his life murdering his followers. His whole life was about throwing the followers of Jesus into prison. However, when the risen Lord Jesus appeared to Paul in that blinding light on the road to Damascus... Well, it's fair to say that Paul became a new person. His attitude towards Jesus completely changed. No longer was his life about hating Jesus and ignoring him and living in rebellion against him. But now it was about serving him as Lord and King. that's why Paul says in verse 16, if you have a look at verse 16, from now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, that he is, in a faulty human way, well, we, we regard him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. You see, when you are converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a new person someone who doesn't live in opposition to Jesus, but whose entire life is lived for the one who died and rose again. But secondly, notice that Paul was given a new job to do. His job was to announce to the world the astonishing message that in Christ Jesus, you can be reconciled to God. Rather than be God's enemy because of our sin and rebellion and ignorance against God, well, you can have your sins wiped clean. You can find assurance of God's acceptance of you rather than live with guilt and the coming condemnation of God. You can see it there in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Uh, I wonder whether you've met a, ever met a, an ambassador before. Uh, An ambassador is someone who speaks on behalf of a a higher authority, isn't it? Uh, I actually had the privilege of meeting an ambassador from Buckingham Palace uh, when I was younger. Uh, This man was a trumpet player in the Queen's Orchestra. And uh, so he used to go from place to place playing music and uh, also giving an official word from Buckingham Palace uh, to people. Uh, But he decided to give up his job and spend the rest of his life telling people about Jesus. And uh, I'll never forget what he said to me uh, at church one day. He said, it's a real privilege speaking on behalf of the Queen. But it's even better speaking on behalf of the King of Kings. It's a great line. But you see, this was Paul's job. His job was to announce to the people the message of reconciliation that God himself had given him to tell to others. And what is this message that the Apostle Paul speaks? Well, uh, you can see it there. If we pick it up from the middle of verse 20, the middle of verse 20, Paul says, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, friends, this is the extraordinary, extraordinarily good news of Christianity, isn't it? It is the announcement that you and I can be reconciled to God through the death of Christ. Even though I'm a sinner, who has rejected God and lived the way that I wanted to live in my life without considering what God would want for me? Well, Christ became sin for me and for you. He took my sin upon himself on the cross and died the death that I should have died in my place and in exchange. He gave me his righteous life so that I can stand before God, reconciled to him. I mean, can you think of anything more wonderful than the news that you can be reconciled to God through Christ? Obviously, Paul had a unique role in God's plan to reconcile the world to himself. Uh, His job was to take the gospel to the world Uh, in, uh, in in a way that we are not all called to do. His job was to suffer terribly for the gospel in a way that not all of us are called to experience. And yet, whenever and wherever this message of reconciliation in Christ is announced, well, God speaks. God makes his appeal through the words of ordinary people be reconciled to God. Uh, You may be here this morning and uh, you know that you are not right with God. Uh, I don't know what you've done or how you've offended God. Uh, I'd imagine that for each of us it'll be uh, very different things. But if you know that you are not right with God, then the great news is that God invites you to be reconciled to him. He loves you so much that he has taken your sin and he has put it on his own beloved son who died in your place so that you no longer have to be his enemy but his friend. Will you accept this gift? Will you turn from your sin of rebellion against God and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God. Well, what motivates Paul to speak about the gospel of Jesus? Uh, The final thing I want you to see this morning is that he's motivated by knowing God's time. He's motivated by knowing God's time. Let's pick it up from chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1 Uh, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, You may have noticed that Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 49, which was read out for us earlier. Uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks in, uh, in that section about Israel's captivity in the foreign land of Babylon. And uh, it's in this part of the book where Isaiah speaks about a mysterious servant through whom God will bring salvation to his people. Uh, now, God did use a servant uh, to liberate his people from Babylon. Uh, if you know your biblical history... Uh, He used a servant called Cyrus, who was the king of Persia at the time, to liberate the Israelites. But ultimately, Isaiah was looking forward to the ministry of the ultimate servant, one who would give up his very own life for people from all nations, so that they might be reconciled to God and experience his blessing. And what Paul is saying here is that with the death and resurrection of Jesus, that time of salvation is now here. When I was in high school, uh, I visited Port Arthur in Tasmania. Uh, I actually visited just after Martin Bryant killed 35 people in the Port Arthur Massacre, uh, Australia's worst gun massacre. Uh, When I went into the cafe, uh, you could actually still see the bullet holes in the walls of the cafe. Uh, It was a a horrible, horrible place. Not long after the massacre, uh, you might remember that the Australian government issued a gun amnesty. You remember that? Uh, If you own a gun illegally, they said, well, you can bring it into any police station... And there will be no penalty. Uh, No questions asked. You just bring your illegal guns in and you can still be friends with the government. But after that window of time passes, then there will be frightening consequences for anyone owning a gun illegally. That's sort of what God is saying here, isn't it? Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time for rebellious people to lay down their arms and to come to God for forgiveness. There is a short window of time between Jesus' death and resurrection and his coming again. And once that window of time passes, it will be too late. The problem is, of course, that Satan always says to us, that now is not the time of salvation. Now is not the time. You can think about these things later when life is a bit easier and there are less distractions. Uh, There's the story of three apprentice devils uh, being trained by Satan to persuade people away from Jesus. Uh, What are you going to try today, Asked Satan, The first apprentice replies, I'm going to tell them there is no God. Well, says Satan, you can try. A few fools will believe you. But the universe shouts the existence of God. There is evidence all around you and you'll not do very well. Indeed, even in the secular 21st century, you may find yourself witnessing the slow death of atheism. Any other ideas? The second apprentice tries this. I'm going to tell them there is no judgment. That's a better idea, says Satan. You will persuade more people of that, especially some of the clergy. But human beings have a gut sense of accountability, that actions have consequences. They know what it is to feel guilty even when their therapists tell them not to. And so I think you will find it an uphill struggle. Anyone else have an idea? The third apprentice pipes up. I'm going to tell them that there is no hurry. I'm going to tell them there is no hurry. Brilliant, says Satan. That is what you want to do. You will have great success. Let them listen to the word of God and whisper in their ears, this is good stuff. One day, you ought to do something about this. One day, you ought to do something about this. But tomorrow will do. Friends, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of God's favour. If you are not reconciled to God, now is the day to be to be reconciled to him. If you are backsliding and drifting away from God, then now is the time to return to God with your whole heart. If you are a Christian person, now is the time to be praying for and telling others that they too can be reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Uh, We don't need a command to do it. Do we? All we need to do is understand what time it is in God's plans for this world. Now is not the time to be living for small uh, dreams and small ambitions and things that do not matter in the light of eternity. Now is a time of God's favour, and now is a time of His salvation. Let's pray.